Welcome to Cork Talks, a European Researchers' Night initiative where we talk to researchers and industry leaders who shape our everyday lives through their work. Our aim is to bring research to life, working to explain our changing world and to showcase the innovation that enables that change. In this week's Cork Talks, we delve into our changing world. Globalisation is the process by which the world is becoming increasingly interconnected as a result of increased trade and cultural exchange. While globalisation can and has resulted in some significant commercial and economic advances, our guests here today will talk to us about the impact of globalisation from a human rights perspective. Globalisation exists against a backdrop of climate, economic and social change in which the wealth gap between the world's richest and the world's poorest is growing, resulting in increased inequalities. Today, we're taking a look at those inequalities, what they are, how they are perpetuated and what we can do as global citizens to affect positive change. Welcome to episode three of Cork Talks, Our Changing World. You're very welcome to the podcast, as is our wonderful panel of guests this week. First up is Dr. Amanullah Desandi, Head of Study of Religions and Senior Lecturer in Contemporary Islam at UCC. Aman is also a Director of NASC Ireland, the Migrant Refugee Rights Centre. Joining him is Mark Kernan, a lecturer in globalisation, global justice and international human rights. Mark has worked in the area of global human rights for several years, in posts with numerous NGOs and also as a journalist. Our final speaker today is Rola Abu Zaid O'Neill, Programme Coordinator for the Diploma in Women's Studies and the Diploma in Development Studies in ACE at UCC. She is an academic in the field of women, conflict and memory. So you're all very welcome today. When we hear the phrase globalisation, there are so many layers to it and a lot to unpack in that term, especially for a general audience. I'd like to ask each of you, when you hear globalisation, what is the most pressing aspect that draws in your focus? And if we could start with yourself, Aman. This is a big question because for me, globalisation is really kind of interwoven with ethics and and how we kind of try to understand and uphold something that's good. And I think often what happens is um, globalisation kind of makes us think about the world that we live in. And I think it becomes really easy for us as Westerners to kind of see the West in some sort of superior position, which then offers a lens on what globalisation means. So I think there's something to be said of of kind of interrogating that mindset, interrogating that vantage point when it comes to looking at globalisation, having a little bit of more humility and trying to understand the world in equals, which is very, very difficult for a lot of people, because I think we're, we're only beginning to appreciate what our privileges are, what our kind of viewpoint is, how we kind of see the world. And that, I think, is is connected to issues of globalisation, but it's a real issue. It's a big issue. And I think it's something that not just as, you know, old, boring academics think about, our students are thinking about that. Our students are living globalisation through Instagram, you know, through all the social media. How do they understand it? Which is sometimes very, very different from how boring academics are. And just before I pass that question on um, to the rest of our panellists, that's really interesting, Aman, when you drop the issue of students. What are you hearing from our students? Are they feeling pressed to be the faces or the forces of change around this? I'm really optimistic. I'm really excited about what's happening. You know, the, um, I'm teaching a block of lectures for their first year's intro to religion right now. And I, I give lectures on the connection of religion with race, with racism, with gender, with sexuality. 
And, you know, I, I test the waters at the beginning to see how the response will be from students, because I really don't believe in lecturing. I believe in learning and teaching, which means getting all my students involved. And I'm really excited about the future in the hands of, of this new generation. You know, they're really on it. They really understand, you know, the, the kind of baggage that we have of understanding globalization through, a, I mean, I hate to say it, can I say this out loud? Like kind of through a, an old white man's lens. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that's not important, but, but you know, it's, it's kind of a little bit tired. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our students are really on it. They're really charged politically. They're thinking, they're thinking about what's good. They're humble. You know, I think understanding globalization requires humility. And that sometimes is really missing because we still try, you know, to, to fit globalization in this kind of triumphalist winning and this is right and the West is right and the East is all wrong. And you're like, how did we get to that? Rola, if I could turn to yourself and ask, is this something that you actually have encountered as well from your students? Yeah, I will add to Amane is said, like globalization, it affects all of us. And it should be like, sometimes I am thinking about myself as Palestinian who was in Ireland for more than 13 years. And before that, like it affects all of us. It affects all aspects of our lives, I, either as students, either as staff, either as academic, as parents as well here in Ireland. So here with the globalization, like it's kind of moving. And I'm looking at about the traditions. Like I'm, I look when I go back to Nazareth and see how things changes in the last 13 years or so and how we are moving like from tradition and how this globalization also affect our societies our own culture so it affects all of us so simply how we see the world and again not everything that comes from the west let's say that's the best and it doesn't mean that also uh, suitable for us like even here in Ireland and Cork, look at the accent of some of the youth. There started to be more American accent, not yeah. really Irish accents. Mm -hmm. And that's all from the social media, how it affects us, what the globalization is to copy. Yeah. But is it suitable for me? Is it good? But not everything American. It's wow. What's wrong with the Cork accent? Absolutely. It's really yeah. interesting you say that because I have a three-year-old nephew who, you know, loves watching Netflix, loves his, you know, TV shows. And for the son of two parents who were born and bred in Cork, who have real Cork accents, he's got a real mixture, this neutral, like half American. Sometimes we actually think he, he sounds kind of like Norwegian or something, you know, like you can't put your finger on it. And that, that's such an interesting topic to bring up. Mark, if I could turn to you and ask, to follow on from the first question, what is the most pressing aspect of globalisation that comes into your head that you think people need to be thinking more about and discussing? Well, no, I was just thinking what a man said. That's such a huge question. It's difficult to get a handle on. I think the important thing to look about globalisation, that it's, it's a political process, it's a technological process, it's a cultural process. And it's an economic process. It's those four things, you know. Some people regard this era of globalization as the fourth era of globalization. And it kicked off after the fall of the Berlin Wall and the fall of communism in the 1990s when 
if you like, uh, uh, you know, American capitalism spread all over the world. And, and we've seen that, in, should it be in social media or economically, with uh, the growth of American companies. This is not a pro or anti-American comment in any mm-hmm. way. It's just mm-hmm. just the historical process. Yep. But then it's technological as well, as we can see it with uh, Facebook and Netflix. As somebody said, India and China and other countries, they won't westernize, they'll modernize. And that's kind of what's happening. But there's, there's another side to globalization coming back at is where Indian culture, in particular Chinese culture, but other cultures in Asia and other parts of the world as well, there's a cultural reflex there as well. We know much more about India and China than we would have known 30 years ago, and that's yep. through instant communication. Mm-hmm. You know, everything happens in, in, in a second these days. Yes, it's been a Western process up till now, but I think that's changing perhaps as we speak, you know. Trump wasn't a multilateral globalization political thing at all, you know. Let's see what Biden does because, you know, America is the biggest economy in the world. It's got the most cultural influence. The next few years will be very interesting as the cultural influence, even more so of, and not just China and India, they're the two big economies, but also Africa, uh, South America. And that could take all types of forms in poetry and music and different economic ideas. I would agree with the man that the West has been the uh, the driving seat as far as this, but I think that's all changing. The US is the biggest economy in the world, China is the second, Japan is the third. So particularly that part of the world, I think will be much more central to globalization in the next few years than has been the case before, you know. It's interesting as well, I suppose, like you mentioned there, you know, we have a a new president coming in in the States. We also have the fallout of the ongoing pandemic, which has seen borders closing, trade slowing down. You know, if you read opinion online, people are saying that we are really entering a new era where there can be positive change. To stay with you, Mark, on this, what do you think needs to happen in order to, I suppose, maybe learn from the mistakes of the past who is it up to is it up to our governments what needs to be done to improve on where we have fallen down in this area in the past at the risk of going, going to my favorite topic climate change as a direct result of economic globalization mm-hmm. e- you know economic growth based on fossil fuels has led to a huge growth in carbon and as we burn carbon into the atmosphere it's heating up the planet. So the first and foremost thing we have to do is uh, stop burning fossil fuels, you know, stop basing our economies on cheap carbon and um, cheap energy. So I think there are positives to globalization. I'm not saying there isn't. I mean, the fact that since the mid-1990s, we'd all been able to get cheaper flights, that's a positive element of globalization. But the negative side is we've also polluted our planet. And as um, I think it was uh, Rolo was saying there, it's very positive that Yes, we can travel the world and we can see things, but there's a negative side to that as well. So what we can do is, yeah, I think I think it's up to all of us. Huh? I think we have to push our governments, particularly with climate change agreements, you know, get onto renewable energy like solar and hydro and whatever it is. But I don't think it's just up to individuals. It's, it's up to governments as well because they've got the power to change this through multilateral agreements, you know. So, you know, it's not that I'm a great fan of Joe Biden, but at least they're talking the right talk when it comes to climate change. And sorry, that's my own little part of it, you know, but I think that's, you know, we have a window of opportunity to do something about this. We've got to do it really soon, you know. Yep. So, but, I, but I'm positive because, you know, you can see young people are so engaged politically with mm-hmm. this at the moment. It's incredible. You know? Yeah. From one topic, climate change to another. Aman, if I could turn to you, there are some people who will hear the phrase globalization and they will think money, jobs, you know, that's brilliant. But actually, you know, it's not all good. And from your research and work in this area, what are some of the greatest negative impacts, I suppose, from a human rights perspective in particular? You know, it's very difficult because 
I think we box things too clearly. Mm -hmm. I worry about the way in which we understand globalization purely from an economic point of view. I'm not an economist, right? Mm -hmm. And But I do understand that individuals need food on the table to eat. Mm -hmm. I understand that. And I understand that how the economy must work and I understand that this is important. What, what worries me is the way in which we commodify things, the way in which we commodify cultures. You know, we, we talk so much about how we are now beginning to appreciate Indian culture. We're beginning to appreciate Chinese culture. Why is that? Is there any reason for that? Because we see that there's some monetary, uh, you know, incentive about us getting closer to Chinese or Indian culture. Now, look, I love the Chinese and Indian culture. I, I, I don't even know why I said that, but you know what I mean? You kind of think, is this a competition between cultures? Is this a competition between who has the most money? Who are we going to get the most incentive for? My parents are Pakistani. I spend so much time trying to get my students to think about the way in which we box entire communities. I teach Islam. I spend so much time trying to get my students to think, why is it that when I ask people, if I was to ask people in the street, what is your view about Islam? Why is most of them going to be negative? If I was to turn to students and say, tell me what you know about the culture of Pakistan versus the culture of what you understand of India. Why is that? How do we understand India and we think about the Taj Mahal, we might think about, you know, wonderful, colourful, bright Bollywood. But if I was to say to you Pakistan, it'd be like, oh no, Pakistan's a bit scary, isn't it? Isn't there kind of terrorism going on? Why is that? And it's because we've, we don't understand the complexity. We don't understand the nuance of, you know, looking at culture separate. I mean, Rola will tell you about what happens when you talk about Israeli culture against Palestinian culture. And the politics of that is just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. But I'm also being pragmatic. I think it's important to be pragmatic and to understand there is a financial economic, you know, kind of deal in all of this. But I worry about whether we're actually we're getting our hands dirty in trying to understand how these cultural divides, how we've arrived at assumptions, how we've arrived at these really scary, you know, monsters, if I can use it. We create entire countries as monsters. To say to somebody, tell me what you understand about Iran. They would probably say, oh, it's very scary over there. It's full of ayatollahs and they're just issuing fatwas. Even if you don't understand anything about the economy or anything, why is that? Mm -hmm. So I worry about, you know, bringing together the science with the humanities, with, you know, all of these different complicated and interesting subjects that happen at universities. We just fall trap to money and making money mm -hmm. and what we gain monetarily. That yeah. worries me every yeah. day. You raise a, a, a really interesting topic there about the, the assumptions that people make. And Rola, if I could turn to you and ask you from the work that you've done with women settling in East Cork, what are the key challenges that displaced people are, are facing? To continue with uh, Aman uh, and then I will move to East Cork. Mm -hmm. We did the research and also I'm volunteering a lot, especially among asylum seekers and refugees and migrants in East Cork. But about the negative aspects of globalization in general, Aman spoke about political aspects. When Mark, he spoke, he spoke about the cultural aspect. Like, you know, even now I go to Nazareth or if I watch uh, uh, Arabic media, we used to watch Syrian, uh, Egyptian, uh, Lebanese programs, while now you will have Turkish, you will have South Korean, you will have Spanish, you will have other uh, programs that they are uh, audio dubbed to Arabic. And that's 
bring in you cultures of things that they are not related to our culture. So there is a reality. Mm-hmm. And then there is something else uh, we would like to ha- to live like them or something like that. That's kind of globalization. And again, about the, the economic aspect of it, all these multinational companies, like look at Apple and Dell here in Cork. Yeah, it's good that we have uh, workplaces. But again, what happened with Dell? One day they just move it to Poland. And how many people they became unemployed and uh, affected because of this, in the end, multinational companies, they look for their profit, cheap rent, cheap for, uh, workforce, all of that. And then they will look for their own benefit. There is no commitment to the society. Yeah, they have their own funding. Apple, they give some charities and they donate for other local here in Cork. But it's nothing if comparing to the tax that they should pay accordingly. So as you said, globalization, it's also connecting the local and the global together. Mm -hmm. So if I will go here to East Cork, we have direct provision center in uh, in Gruntown. And also we have Syrian refugees that came toward uh, Middleton Cove, Yol in uh, in East uh, Cork. And Marky knows more about Yol as well. So we can see that these families, what they want is to live their own peaceful life, to settle again, to communicate with the other uh, co- uh, communities. I don't speak about integration because it's not only integration. We speak about integration and inclusion. Mm-hmm. There is a responsibility for the new Irish, the migrants, to integrate because that's for their benefit. That's to know their own situation. And also there is a huge responsibility of the majority, which they are Irish, to include a new community members not only for funding purpose. Mm-hmm. Like I, we, I live in Karaktul, and in Karaktul we nearly have 38 different communities. I mean communities here that people who came from various uh, nationality and race, and uh, we have travelers uh, around. So Karaktul, we work a lot about integration and inclusion. In 2017 or 2018, we won a pride of place for a community with up to 5,000 citizens here. So we are doing a lot here. But again, maybe because it's considered small, there is a space to include and to integrate, to accept as well. While in bigger places, like look at Cork City, for example, it's not the same. And still, Cork, it's better than other places. I mean, about accepting the other. Yeah, You've led me on to something else, which is, you know, drawing on what Aman said there about how media portrayal and TV shows, how they play a role in, in how we look at certain communities. From your work in East Cork, are there specific difficulties facing different communities based off of that media portrayal? In Karaktul, I am part of uh, Karaktul Community Sponsorship um, initiative and we hosted in May 2019 we brought a Syrian family here into East into Karaktul. Actually we had very successful case here. The Syrian family they have parent and two children they are fully integrated 
in the whole life of that village, in the school, in the soccer club, in the community center, in the family resource center, they are hugely involved. They are accepted. Yeah. And yeah. actually, this successful case, the media looked at it very positive, like it was in the echo uh, many times, in Irish Examiner as well, in, in addition to other uh, media. This case, it was really good. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the same in Middleton because they hosted mm-hmm. another another family. I remember when they launched their own initiative, they started to receive phone calls. But it's not about media. It's through social media, yes. not the written. Oh, you are bringing ISIS here. And the wow. same happened in Lismore as well. And in Lismore, it was more worse. They were organized against bringing new communities, bringing uh, Syrians to their um, town or village but in Karaktul we actually the social media was good. Mark I'm very interested to talk to you about your research so you've published work on the impact of development on indigenous groups would you be able to talk about some of the findings that you've uncovered through that? My uh, master's um, dissertation was on the impact of development projects on indigenous and nomadic peoples uh, worldwide I mean, again, this is a very negative aspect of, if you like, globalization. And if we interchange uh, uh, development with um, globalization, you'll see what I mean. The best way to give an example of this would be, and it's kind of not really well known, which is kind of extraordinary in many ways, but let's take let's take two examples. And one would be the displacement of Tibetan nomads in the western part of China, you know, which is a, a very contested area. The Chinese call it Western China. And the Tibetans call it uh, Tibet, obviously. Well over a million um, Tibetan nomads have been taken off the land. They were nomads. They were moving from pasture to pasture through season to season. And um, that land that they were using was, you know, it's very resource rich. So the idea was um, to displace them and to uh, settle them down, which, you know, we've had similar, well, not similar as in, not in the numbers, but a similar kind of a a state process. We try to settle people who've been moving, you know. So that impact on Tibetan nomads has been extraordinary. And that culture is dead now. And it's it died the last kind of 30 years, you know. Wow. And it's an exceptionally rich culture in so many ways, spiritually, et cetera, and all the rest of it. And it's it's all its own mores and traditions and, and norms. So that, that, that so it's not a movement culture anymore. And you can see that replicated across the world. Another really good example of it would be the um, in Brazil, in the Amazon, which... Uh, has been very, very violent. And it's not just been about displacement. So it may be, for example, about the building of uh, roads to get into logging or oil extraction or mining or the building of dams. And that's on the land of indigenous peoples. And even though they're protected by law in Brazil, but this is where the politics and and the rise of right-wing politics is really important to understand here, that when somebody like Bolsonaro become, you know, he's known as the Trump of the tropics. He's even worse than Trump, actually. He just doesn't care, you know. He, the law isn't that important. It's just overridden. And that becomes very violent. That's where, you know, private armies are sent in by, by large logging companies and oil companies. And the impact on the culture is sad. I, I wish I could give you a, a more optimistic kind of an outlook or prognosis. But even though, thankfully, um, th- there's still... Um, indigenous and nomadic peoples in the cult and very, very rich cultures in the world. But they've been very much the victims of globalization. If there's oil extracted in northern Brazil and the Amazon and that type of area, that's for us, right? That, you know, we get cheap oil or Venezuela, we have an oil part or Africa. 
but the impact on indigenous peoples is, is uh, really profound. Huh? Sadly, that's 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 the story. Um, it's it's not replicated across the world because mm -hmm. the idea in uh, international law and international norms is a protection for people against arbitrary displacement. But to go back to maybe what we're talking about earlier on, unfortunately, um, hard raw economics is a very tough uh, process, and these people, as a general rule, wouldn't be politically powerful. Um, through sheer numbers or wealth, so they're in a, in a in a difficult position. Perhaps in the sense that maybe one way to understand that would be the uh, the treatment of travellers as a separate yeah. indigenous community in this mm -hmm. in Ireland. And first, you must respect the culture. You must see it as worthy in the first place, and not just trying to kind of integrate it into the culture as a as a whole. To see it as something separate, something worthwhile in itself, as as a valuable thing, you know. But that's an ongoing process across mm -hmm. the world. Absolutely. God, there is yeah. something very jarring there when you said the phrase dead cultures sent a chill down the spine. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's true. Yeah. Something that has been touched on a lot in our conversation today is social media. And Aman, if I could turn to you, because you were speaking about it earlier on, in terms of getting our young people active in these conversations, obviously social media is a very useful tool. But from the examples that yourself and Rola have given, it also has hugely negative connotations. What needs to happen in order for us to be able to harness the positives of social media? Is this where we need a really firm hand from the government to introduce policy? Like, what's the way forward in order to harness the best out of it to get these conversations going? That's huge. Yeah. <laughs> um, it depends what you're using social media for. Yeah. So there's a lot of questions that we need to ask. What is the benefit? Why are you using it? Now, we know that there are a lot of people who use social media just for self, the kind of Instagram-y kind of look Selfie at me, culture, yeah. you know, you can kind of see all these individuals who are doing all sorts of things and they're not wearing that many clothes or whatever, right? So, they, so they, I mean, that's fine. That, that's basically what they do. But you have to kind of think, what, what do we want to gain from it? What my aim and objective is, is to try to get my students to think critically, yeah. is to get them to think, what are the implications of the knowledge? I don't want them to go away with trivia knowledge. I do not want them to go away telling people, by the way, Muslims play five times a day. I'm like, no. Uh, uh, yeah, okay, fine. You can get your kind of trivia. But to complicate that, to say, well, rich Muslims are a billion or two billion Muslims all the same. Do they all fit the same? Why is it? Why is this? What's the complexity? So it's actually getting students to think. It's getting students to be critical. And then I keep saying this, but it's really important for us to train or to get our students to think about, you know, the ethics of everything. Yeah. You know, the science tells us how to do, how to put things together, how things were. But, you know, it's in the humanities and the arts that we're really questioning, is that really ethical? What will be the implications of this, which require us to sit back, be a little bit more humble in trying to think, what is this about? How do we understand a successful world? Do we really just want a massive mansion? My niece actually got me hooked on watching Selling Sunsets. And I watched a, a couple of episodes and I thought, yeah. I hate this, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Who buys a million dollar house? And then I was just like, gosh, this is really interesting because it kind of takes you into this completely different psychological world. Yeah. And this is the world that the vast majority, is that too generalizing? But a lot of people want to be in. Why would yeah. you want to live in a $40 million house? 
what would you gain from that? So I think these are the questions I think yeah. that we need to think about. I'm not saying, look, we should all be, you know, give all our money away and we should all be, you know, 100% child, because I understand there, there has to be a realistic side to this. But I think what it is, is that we've actually lost track. We've lost track through social media, through whatever way you want to see on what we're watching on Netflix. We've lost track on the kind of fundamentals. Why are we doing this? Who is it that's actually telling us about the ethics and how do we kind of make sense of all that? So that for me is, is a real concern to think about the kind of the ethical side of, of social media. And I'm, I'm very hopeful. I'm, not, I'm yeah. really not, not that negative about it all because I think there are a lot of really good people out there who are challenging how we understand the world. Why our world here in Ireland is not that different from a country or a culture that we've made into a big bad monster. And a lot of people will be very challenged by this because we in the West have been trained at some level to have this superior mindset that we are the best. Mm -hmm. And that trickles into all sorts of things. How do we unread that? And that is really important. Rola, if I could turn to you, you're, you're nodding there. Would you hold the same hope as a man? I don't know if I am very optimistic the same as a man, but I totally agree with him about being as educator. We have to speak about critical thinking and it's very important about the ethics of the use of social media. Social media, it's like a weapon with two edges. It can be a great tool to promote ideas, to promote for social change, to promote for anything positive or politics, anything that you think it's very important. Yes, we can promote it. And I use Facebook, I use Twitter, but with the young people, they start to speak about it. It's like a Chinese for me, you see, and I don't have any Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Chinese for me. I don't know TikTok. I don't know anything. Yeah. And here, like the issue of the privacy. With the social media, we don't have privacy. No privacy anymore. My my youngest, he's seven years old, and he likes to watch these kind of uh, things. And he will tell me, oh, mom, this is X, and that's his sister, and that's his father. They own this house. I said, Karim, why it's very important for you to know about him, to know all of these details. Yep. Like even also the TV, look at the Google Box uh, TV shows, mm -hmm. at the Big Brother TV shows, mm -hmm. what this will give me. Yeah, and they're what so popular, it's scary. They are, and it's scary. So if I will look at it, at the same time, I love watching TV. I love being engaged with media and social media. But what will give me if I will watch them uh, watching Google Box and to go to their houses and to their living room and the way that they speak to each other? Why? What's the benefit of this? So a man mentioned ethics and ethical, and that's very important. When we educate our students to ask them to think broadly and to see how they can benefit, not that we will copy the social pressure. We have lots of social pressure, especially the younger generation. Mark, just to pick up on what you were saying about the dead cultures 
and as we're talking about I suppose the next generation and and looking into the future obviously with the pandemic globalization some people are saying that it's moving backwards and that we're moving towards more localization do you think increased localization will help to stop the culling off of these cultures and so do you think in a way the impact of the pandemic is positive in this way that it will have a positive impact on cultures and particularly among indigenous communities but I don't know, really, mm-hmm. to be honest. Uh, I think it's too early to tell. Yep. Maybe maybe it's a bit like Pandora's box as well, you know, where um, once the box is open, the certain processes take place and it's difficult to, to close that box. No, I don't want, when I say dead cultures, perhaps, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a striking phrase, I guess, you know, but, and you don't want to paste, uh, paint too negative a picture because there are good stories out there as well. Yeah. But yeah, it's just that those, you know, just for the very reasons the rest of the guys have been talking about, you know, there's so many pressures on those cultures um, from outside and should it be social media, should it be a barrage of, um, you know, Hollywoodism and that type of thing. So it's, it's difficult to tell. But what, what I would say is, you know, for me personally, I'm not on Facebook. I got off it because I think it's, a, to be frank, it's an unethical company. But I think it's important just before we go any forward, if we're talking about social media, it's important to remember that we're the product. Huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, so our data is being sold to large companies who know so much about us now at this point, it's extraordinary, yeah? which the, the point where they can predict behavior because they know so much about our personalities. So that's really important to um, uh, remember. But then again, you know, there's a positive side to, to social media as well, because it's um, it, it drives um, social protest, if you like, for example. Um, so th- that's, a, that's a positive side of it. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I mean, you have to see social media, should it be Instagram or Twitter or Facebook? It's a big unregulated market. And yeah. It's kind of, you know, it's a, it's a crazy, so. yeah, it's, it's, it's a kind of a crazy place in many ways. And my sense about uh, in the coming years, it's going to be regulated quite a bit. They'll probably Facebook will be broken up, you know. Yeah. If you go back to the first, the second age of globalization, the early 20th century, before the First World War, uh, and after it, that was known as the second age of globalization. And many of the large banks, for example, were broken up in the 1920s and 30s because they'd become too powerful. So I think that's the position we're kind of in now at the moment where a lot of the tech companies have become way too powerful economically through wealth. And if you have economic power, you have political power. So I think the positive thing is we're going to see, they're going to see those companies broken up and not before time mm-hmm. and regulate them a little bit more. But I mean, they're still going to be here. They're not going away. You know? Last week, it was really interesting to me. I was speaking to two researchers about climate crisis and I was making this big deal about, you know, how with COVID, you know, we were no longer, you know, cutting down on packaging and recycling and things like that. And how much of an issue was that? And actually, Jean and Hannah, who were speaking, they were saying, well, actually, you know, Yes, it's important, but in the grand scheme of things, it's, you know, the travel industry, it's it's oil and energy, you know, that's really what, what makes the biggest impact. And Aman, you, you made a, a wonderful point there where you were saying, you know, it's so important for the next generation that our educators are speaking about these topics, that they're teaching in the right way, and that our students then are, are open to it. Beyond the, the lecture theatre, I suppose, for the ordinary Joe Soap like me, you know, how can I be playing my part? Is it just about being more open, about having these conversations and listening? What can I do? What can people in the community do? Our issues of diversity and inclusion are really impacting on on how we see the world 
and that's impacting all our fields of studies and and everything you know it's and it's really important to you know th- th- there's a lot to be said uh, you know on on all sides because some people would say oh there's now culture wars and you know people are getting cancelled and what do, you know I I spoke on the BBC you know a few months ago about what does cancel culture mean and I just think that what we need is we need a little bit more reflection we need to stop polarizing as best as we can and we still we need to stop boxing individuals in in ways that are too simplistic i think mm-hmm. that is really really important for us to do but you know to think very locally you know what is it think globally act locally what can you do in your in your small community how do you raise your voice you know how do you kind of challenge something that's always there if i can just end on on one kind of you know example today so there's a there's a panel being put together at a university I'll not name them in Ireland on the kind of the, the legacy of imperialism and the entire panel has white people on it and you know right. I, I sat there and I read it and I thought well this is really interesting good people I'm not I'm not saying they're bad people or you know mm-hmm. brilliant people but I just I thought I'm in a privileged position I have a platform to raise the question to say why is this panel all white yeah and you know it's a split between men and women but it's the thing is that we we understand the issues of diversity but we're not we're not connecting the dots. Yeah. We talk about the women question, very important, mm-hmm. but are we talking about women of color? Mm-hmm. Are we including that into, you know, black lives matter? And I think sometimes what's happened is that a, lo- a lot of people can't connect all of this, which yeah. is, you know, the fancy word is intersectionality, and it's not every one size doesn't fit all. We can't expect everybody to kind of, you know, fight these battles, but it's really important to read and to understand and to critique and to have friends who will challenge you. You know, have friends who take you out of your comfort zone. I'm not saying stand at street corners and say, I don't have a Muslim friend. I need a Muslim friend. I'm saying, you know, it's important to kind of get out of the textbooks, get out of the, the classroom and to kind of see the world. And it's very difficult to do that right now, I understand. But it's important to kind of challenge our minds in, in, in what, what we understand is through our comfort zones. Move out of your comfort zone. That's really, really important. Yeah, thank you. And on that note, we'll wrap it up there. As I said, I could speak to you all day. Thank you so, so much for what has been such a, an interesting and illuminating conversation. So I'd like to thank all of our guests for joining us today. Thank you to our listeners for joining us. And be sure to tune in next week for our final episode of the series, which will be hosted by none other than Blind Boy. We'll talk to you then. Cork Talks is brought to you by Cork Discovers, a European Researchers' Night initiative. Tune in next Friday night on corkdiscovers.org to hear from researchers John Cryan and Ted Dynan in conversation with Blind Boy. Cork Discovers runs from November 26th to 28th at corkdiscovers.org. With thanks to our partners, UCC Academy, UCC, Chagask, Cork City Council, the British Council and Black Rock Castle Observatory. This project has received funding from the European Union's Horizon 2020 Research and Innovation Programme under grant agreement number 955330.